Picking up on what David said at the start as we have our our next Bible reading from Exodus 13. Uh, The Israelites have been allowed to leave Egypt. Um, They've left in a great hurry. And as we read from verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb amongst the among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Hivites and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come... When your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Clyde was 69, an old 69. He walked slowly and rather stiffly as a result of an accident and subsequent back surgery. The worst time of his life had been when he was laid up in the hospital after the operation on his back. He had tubes, catheters, IVs, and almost unbearable pain. This infuriated him. It was as if he had no identity. Clyde had a graduate degree in engineering. During his life, he'd been a respected and productive scientist. He'd made a great deal of money. He'd taken the role of both husband and father willingly and had done very well, as far as he was concerned. But Clyde felt empty and alone. 
He's reached a time in his life when there were no more roles. No one knew him, and no one wanted to know him. Did he exist at all? He was surprised. He hadn't expected this. He'd done everything right, followed the rules, yet in return for all his efforts, he had nothing. He had no relationships and was too old and tired to form new ones. Clyde had depended on roles to structure his life, to give him meaning and purpose. His self-esteem depended on how well he filled his roles. But there are no roles for the ageing and retired. No purpose. The culture no longer needed to control Clyde, so he was forgotten. He felt forgotten, worthless and unneeded. Before you get too concerned, let me reassure you that Clyde is a fictional character invented by Avril Marie Doyle for her book Delusional Relationships. It's a work which explores how culturally transmitted messages delude us about who we are and what we want in terms of our relationships with other people. But Clyde could be any one of a number of us if we allow our roles to define our identity. So who am I? What defines me as a person? What is my identity? For Clyde, his identity was wrapped up in the roles assigned to him by society. His work as a scientist. His role as a husband and a father. Take those roles away. Put him in a situation where he has no role to define him, him, and he's in big trouble. And for many of us, our identity and correspondingly our sense of self-esteem and value can be wrapped up in the job that we do or the extent to which other people depend on us and look up to us and rely on us. And all this is wrapped up in what we do rather than who we are. Who is Tim Carter? I can easily think of myself as a husband to Sue, father to my children, minister of this church, a research fellow at the London School of Theology. All of these things form part of my identity. But there needs to be more to me than that. Otherwise, if ever the day should come when I'm retired and living alone, I'm going to be in big trouble. So who am I? What defines who I am? At the start of Exodus 13, the Lord gives his people tools, memory aids, to remind them of who they are. Every year they are to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to eat bread made without yeast for a seven-day period every year. Why? Because on the night when they came out of Egypt, they left in a hurry, and there was no time for the dough they'd put in their ovens to rise overnight. So they took bread with them before it had risen, and they commemorated that event every year in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And on the day when they did so, everyone was to tell their children, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, when he brought me out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This observance was to be like a sign on everyone's hand and a reminder on their forehead of who they were, where they came from that the law of the Lord needed to be on their lips. It was the equivalent of a knot in their handkerchief to remind them of their true identity. 
Having a reminder on your forehead means every time you see your reflection, you're reminded of who you are. Having a sign on your hand means every time you do something, you see the sign. Through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people of Israel were given constant reminders about their true identity. Who were they? They were the people whom God had redeemed. It was the same with the practice of offering to the Lord every firstborn, every firstborn from among the flock and redeeming every firstborn child. Why were they to do this? Because when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let the people go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal, and rescued his people and brought them safely out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's why, as a reminder of this event, the firstborn of every animal was either sacrificed to the Lord or redeemed, and every firstborn child was redeemed. Again, It was to be a sign on everyone's hand and a symbol on everyone's forehead that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They were the people whom God had redeemed. These practices were designed to shape and mould the nation's cultural identity. What's it mean to be an Israelite? Who are the Jews? What's our identity all about? Well... We, we are the people whom God brought out of Egypt. We are the people whom God rescued from the land of slavery. He delivered us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's who we are. That's the story that defines our identity. That myth of their origins was crucial to their self-understanding. Understanding who they were affected the entire orientation and direction of their lives. Rudolf Bultmann reflected a great deal on the the significance and importance of self-understanding, and I'm going to read from him at length, because actually what he said is very good. He writes, Personal self-understanding, albeit unconscious dominates or exercises a powerful influence upon all our sorrows and cares, ambitions, joys and anxieties. Moreover, this personal self-understanding is put to the test, is called into question in every situation of encounter. As my life goes on, my self-understanding may prove inadequate or it may become clearer and deeper as the result of further experiences and encounters. This change may be due to radical self-examination, or it may occur unconsciously when, for example, my life is led out of the darkness of distress into the light of happiness, or when the opposite experience comes to me. Entering into decisive encounters, I may achieve a totally new self-understanding as a result of the love which is bestowed upon me when, for example, I marry or make a new friend. Even a little child unconsciously manifests such self-understanding insofar as he realises that he is a child and that he therefore stands in a special relationship to his parents. His self-understanding expresses itself in his love, trust, feeling of security, thankfulness and so on. In my personal existence I am isolated neither from my environment nor from my own past and future. When, for example, I achieve through love a new self-understanding, 
What takes place is not an isolated psychological act of coming to consciousness. My whole situation is transformed. In understanding myself, I understand other people. And at the same time, the whole world takes on a new character. I see it, as we say, in a new light. And so it really is a new world. I achieve a new insight into my past and my future. I recognise new demands and am open to encounters in a new manner. My past and future become much more than pure time, as is marked on a calendar or timetable. Now, it should be clear that I cannot possess this self-understanding as a timeless truth a conviction accepted once and for all. For my new self-understanding, by its very nature, must be renewed day by day. And it's in faith that we understand ourselves anew. As Luther says in his interpretation of the Epistle to the Romans, God, going out from himself, brings it about that we go into ourselves And making himself known to us, he makes us known to ourselves. In faith, man understands himself ever anew. This new self-understanding can be maintained only as a continual response to the word of God, which proclaims his action in Jesus Christ. The kindness of God is new every morning. Yes, provided I perceive it anew every morning. For this is not a timeless truth like a mathematical statement. I can speak of the kindness of God which is new every morning only if I myself am renewed every morning. It's an ongoing relationship with God, faith in God, which is the key to our self-understanding. And correspondingly, my understanding of my situation, of the world, of my past, and of my future. That's a relationship that needs to be renewed day by day. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We need to appropriate that for ourselves again and again. Who am I? Who am I? I am a person loved by God. I'm a person created by God. I'm a person redeemed by God. In this sense, a relationship with God is not something confined to weekly attendance at a service of worship. Our relationship with God defines who we are. Not just in our daily living, but for eternity. What does it mean for the Israelites to remind themselves constantly that they are the people whom the Lord brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? It meant all the time they were reminded that they were who they were, because God had redeemed them. And because God had redeemed them, they were not abandoned, they were not unloved, they were not insignificant, they were not unimportant, they were not worthless. How did they know that? They knew that because God had redeemed them. And God had redeemed them because he loved them. If they meant nothing to him, he wouldn't have bothered with them. But the truth that God had redeemed them, the truth that God had set them free, the truth that God had claimed them as his own people, 
The truth that God had named them as his firstborn son gave them a clear sense of their value and their importance to God. The fact that God had redeemed them was unmistakable proof that they mattered to God. And if they mattered to God, then their lives mattered. Full stop. They were the people whom God had redeemed. The fact that God loved them. The fact that God had rescued them. The fact that God had claimed them as his own was crucial to their identity and to their self-understanding. And what about us? What about you? How much are you worth? What defines you as a person? How much value does God set on your life? How much do you matter? How much do you matter to him? God values you enough to send his one and only son to redeem you to lay down his life for you so that you might have life. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 puts it well. You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So are you worthless? No. You've been redeemed with nothing less than the precious blood of Christ. That was the price God was willing to pay for your life. That's the cost he was willing to bear to rescue you from destruction and bring you out of death into life. Be assured that you are infinitely precious to God. In Bultman's words again, redemption is forgiveness through which we are brought from bondage to freedom, from anxiety to joy, from disobedience to obedience. The fact that we've been redeemed defines our immense value and importance. Peter puts it this way, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are people who belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were nobodies, but now, now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That makes all the difference. So what defines me as a person? It must not, it cannot be the roles that I fulfil. Because that locks me into a destructive cycle of needing to justify my existence by what I do, by how much I achieve. That is trying to achieve salvation by works. It's the grace of God that redeems us from that need to prove ourselves. And it's the grace of God that redeems us from the failure that hits us when we let ourselves and others down. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. It's that grace which secures our salvation and means that our identity is not tied up in what we do. It depends entirely on what God has done 
for us. He gave his son to redeem you, to set you free, to forgive you, to make you a member of his own people, to bring you out of death into eternal life. Why did he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. We live because we are loved. We are who we are because we are loved. And it's because we are loved that God redeemed us. Doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter how much or how little we achieve, the secure basis for our identity and self-worth through all the days of our life, the second age, the third age, the fourth age, to the point where actually we are facing death itself. All of that, the basis for identity, rests in the knowledge that we have been redeemed and we belong to God. That's who we are. We are loved by him. And he showed that, and he proved that, and he made it real by giving his son to redeem us. Let that truth and nothing you do or try to do be the basis for your confidence, for your self-understanding, for your sense of identity, because that truth is the basis of your salvation in this life and for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy for us to get our sense of self-importance from other places than our relationship with you. How busy we are, how much we've achieved, how many people depend upon us. Yet these are fragile and false supports. Thank you that when everything else is stripped away, you are the one who is there. Thank you that your love for us doesn't depend upon what we do. But you love us because because you love us. Thank you that our identity and our security doesn't depend on, on how much we achieve or what we do. It depends entirely on the truth that you gave your one and only son to redeem us because you love us. Thank you that our eternal salvation doesn't depend on what we do. But entirely upon the gift of your Son to forgive us. Make us holy. Bring us out of death and into life. Lord, some of us feel that sense of security in our relationship with you. Others of us, we're at sea and we feel lost. Hold on to us, Lord. Because whether we feel it or not, you've claimed us as your people.
So keep us. Protect us. Save us and deliver us. Renew your steadfast love to us. And reassure us that we are who we are. Because you've redeemed us. And you redeemed us because you love us. May that be our security and our hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.